Stones. It is great to be with uh, so many of you as we gather to worship today as a, as a church family. Um, I want to thank Chuck uh, last week for filling the pulpit for me and allowing me to take uh, Regan, my oldest, to her first Packers game. And it was an amazing game uh, to be at, thankfully. And um, it was a little bit of retribution because week one, the Vikings made us look like a JV team. And so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And so I just want to charge everybody today. Um, the Packers played tonight at like 8.20 against the Lions. So if everybody can be praying that the Packers win so they can um, get into the playoffs, um, I, I would just appreciate it. So, <laughs> But uh, it, it is uh, just good to start our, our new year with you this morning. Um, and if we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Pat Malloy. I'm the lead pastor here. And I would love for you just to come up, find me after service today, introduce yourself, say hi, and, and uh, I, I would love just to hear a little bit more about your story and any way um, that we can serve you, that we can help you, it would be our, our pleasure to do so. Um, so we're, we're starting something new this morning. And I, as I was thinking about this, I know every one of us in the room, if you have interacted with anybody, whether it's at a retail store, at a restaurant, or, or online, like we've all had some kind of experience with bad customer service, you know, wh whether it's somebody that just, you know, you're at the checkout line, they won't even like look you in the eye, or maybe you just had, you know, somebody that they won't even give you the time of day, they don't tell you thank you, or, or I mean, or, or most of us, we've probably at one point or another been on, on the phone with customer service and you're bounced around from like one person to the next, to the next, to the next, and like I, I feel like that's so often the case with like when we have to call for like our our family's internet provider, I won't say who they are, Xfinity, but um, like like it always feels like you're on the phone with them for like an hour and half the time you're like, all right, that wasn't even helpful. You didn't even help me address what what I needed. And and so like as I was thinking about that, we're, we're going to be beginning a, a new series starting today that we are calling my pleasure. And, and as we were kicking around the, this idea for the, the title of this series, I, I looked online just to see, like, all right, are there any other churches that have done, like, a, a series with the title My Pleasure before? And there were a couple series that came up about sex, and th this is not a sex series. Um, we, we may do one at some point, but kids, you don't need to worry. Um, that's not going to be today. But, but I, I, as we were thinking about it, I was thinking, well, thank God the Chick-fil-A over on Ireland and Michigan finally reopened. Um, yeah, it, I, it is so wonderful to have to have them open uh, once again. Um, they've been closed for a number of months for their remodel and, and putting in their new drive-through, which if, you, if you've not utilized their mobile drive-through lane, it's amazing. You totally need to do it. it it's awesome. But, but there really is something special about the, the culture that Chick-fil-A has has fostered and, and created. And, and I don't mean this to be a disparaging comment at all, but there is something different about the experience you have when you go to Chick-fil-A versus if you went and got a meal at McDonald's or at Taco, at Taco Bell. You know, like as it relates to fast food restaurants, it's just a different experience that you have. And, and so like taking, taking the food, taking the food quality out of, out of the picture, there is just something different about Chick-fil-A than most other fast food restaurants. The, the dining room is generally cleaner. You know, they have the dining room host that walks around and, you know, is cleaning up, asks if anybody needs a refill, anything like that. Um, you know, the Chick-fil-A is generally pretty fast. Like, even though their line is sometimes crazy long, they move you through it 
really, really quickly. And, but I think one of the things that stands out the most for me when we think about Chick-fil-A, it would be the interactions that their employees have with their customers. Now, obviously, there, there are some exceptions, but they tend to be extremely courteous, extremely friendly, like desiring to be helpful, trying to go above and beyond. And, and one of the things that sticks out the most to me when, when you have an interaction with a Chick-fil-A employee is, is you know, they, they've served you, they've done something for you, you tell them thank you, and, and their immediate response is, my pleasure, my pleasure. You know? and, and there's something that, that that small, simple phrase communicates that really is something just so deep and profound and beautiful. Like, their, their response isn't, oh, you know, sure thing, no problem, no biggie, absolutely, you're welcome. And, and all of those would be completely appropriate responses. But the response from a Chick-fil-A employee, whether it's they're, they're handing you a straw, oh, my pleasure. You know, they're giving you a refill on, on your sweet tea, my pleasure. You know, if there's a spill on the floor, like, all right, you know, no, my pleasure, I'll take care of it. And, and, and even, like, even when they're tasked with doing something that might not even seem pleasurable, the response is, well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to serve you in this way. And, and this comes from their company values. I, I screenshotted this from their website, if you can put that up on, on here. It might be a little bit, the text might be a little bit difficult to, to read. But these are Chick-fil-A's core values that they talk about. And, and the first one is that we are here to serve. You know, we keep the needs of our operators, their team members, customers at the heart of our work, doing what is best for business and best for them. We're better together. We're purpose-driven. We pursue what's next. And, and this is a part of who they are. It's the culture. It's the, the, the mission that they have of serving other people. We're here to serve. We are better together. And, and I love that. I, I love that aspect. You know, and, and they've become absolute masters of, of passing this down from the top all the way down to, to their employees that interact with, with customers on, on a daily basis. But it's not a fluke. It's not something that just happens. It's not something that takes place by accident. It's, it's something that they've fostered. They've been highly intentional about doing. And whether or not you agree with all of the Kathy family's you know, religious positions or, or, or anything like that, I, I think there's, there's no... There's no mistaking that, that the culture that Chick-fil-A has created stems from the founding family's Christian faith about serving other people, that we are better together. And, 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 in, and so in this series we're gonna, that we're starting off this new year, we're going to be talking about and exploring the high calling of serving. The high call of, of serving. That it's not some, serving is not just something that, that a small select group of people are to do, but it's something that every one of us, that if we profess to be a follower of Jesus, it's something that we're called to embrace. Now, back in November, we, we did a series and we were talking about our church's mission and, and vision, our history, that kind of thing. And, and, and our mission statement is to partner in God's mission of love, reflecting the heart of Jesus to all people as we invite others onto this journey of grace reflecting the heart of Jesus to all people. And, and multiple times in the gospel accounts, Jesus talks about how his mission, one of the things he came to do, was to serve. If you think about when, when James and John, they're, they're having this conversation, and they make this just ludicrous request of Jesus, saying, all right, when you enter your glory, can one of us sit at your right hand and one sit at your left hand? And, and when G Jesus rebukes them in, in the kind and gracious way that he always does, in Mark chapter 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. That's not why I'm here. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life, his life as a ransom 
for many. Like, Jesus of all people, he, like, he could have sat back and expected people to come and wait on him and to, and to serve him. He, he's the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the actual son of God. And yet he said, I didn't come here to be served. I actually came to serve others. And, and the word that, that Jesus used, uses for the word serve, it's the Greek word diakonos, which, which literally means like to, to serve somebody a meal, to wait on somebody at, at a restaurant. And, and, the, and you think about Jesus' life, there were, there were no tasks that were too menial for him to do. Jesus, Jesus was not above anything. He also referenced the, the same fact at, at it, during the Last Supper, that when Jesus and his disciples, they, they gathered together for their final meal together, and Jesus, he pulls out this basin of water, and he, and he kneels down in front of all, each of his disciples' feet, and he, and he takes their, their feet that were, you know, caked with, with dust and dirt and camel and donkey feces. I mean, I mean, you think about it, like, they didn't have indoor plumbing, and so, and they didn't bathe every day. And so, like, you, you can use your imagination to think about just, like, the filth that was on Jesus' disciples' feet, what they looked like, what they smelled like. And Jesus embraced their feet, and he, and he washed them. And after doing so, this, this incredibly humbling act, he says this in John 13, 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Like, if, if you go out and serve one another in the exact same way that I served you just now, he said, you're going to be blessed. And so if, if as a people, we want to reflect the heart of Jesus to all people that we come across, everybody that we interact with, having the heart of a servant has to be at the top of our list of what it, what it means to look like. And so in this series, My Pleasure, we're, we're going to explore what does it look like for us to, to have that, that, uh, that, that heart of a servant, the high call of service, not just here in the church, but also in our own individual lives. And, and so today, this message this morning is going to kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of this series. We're going to be referring back to what we talk about today throughout this series. But I want to take a look back at, at an episode that takes place in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And, and it really is uh, this, this incredible part of Israel's history. And there's, there's a little bit of a history lesson that I got to give that will kind of help... Uh, share the gravity of what it is that, that was taking place in this moment, that mo many of you probably know that God established his covenant with Abraham. He said Abraham was going to be the father of a great nation, and, and God takes Abraham to the land of Canaan and says, your descendants are going to inherit this entire land. And through a lot of twists and turns in, in the story of Israel, the Israelite people find themselves enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Moses ends up leading them out of Egypt and takes them back to that land of Canaan that God had promised to Abraham. And Moses dies and Joshua kind of takes up the mantle. He becomes the leader uh, of the Israelites. But after Joshua died, there was a bit of a power vacuum because God never intended for his people, God never intended Israel to, to have a king like all the other nations around them. Because he knew something about human nature that it would be very easy for his people to, to begin to, to worship this king and to follow this king instead of following 
God. And, and so because they did not have a king, there was not like a, a, a line of succession that, that, was, that was easily followed. There was no obvious heir to the throne, no, no next leader up that would have been obvious. And, and so God raised up individuals that were called judges to help lead the people. And Judges chapter 2, verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. That just before this in, in Judges, he was talking about how the, the other nations around Israel often would come and, uh, and attack Israel. And, and so God raised up these judges. He would raise up these leaders to help protect his people. They, they, they led them um, militarily. They kind of oversaw the affairs of this young nation. They also presided over, over legal matters as well. And, and this was a very tumultuous time in the history of Israel because they were a brand new nation. They had just come to the land, the promised land of Canaan out of 400, after 400 years of, of being enslaved in Egypt. And they, and they were a very young nation and, and they were very vulnerable to those other nations that were around them, that, that looked at the land that they possessed and the things that they had, <clears throat> excuse me, and wanted those things, you know, for, for themselves. They were ripe for the taking. And, and so if you read through the, account, uh, the accounts of the judges, it is filled with stories of Israel's being attacked by foreign invaders and adversaries. And, and one of these groups, <clears throat> excuse me, one of these groups were the Midianites. If you can put the map up on the screen, this, this is just kind of a, a map of the general area of, of where Israel was. And so obviously Canaan is where the Israelites lived. You can see Jerusalem, Jericho up there. And the Midianites lived just what's in now northwestern Saudi Arabia, just kind of to the to the east of the Arabian Peninsula. And, and as, as you can see, the, the Midianites, like they had no good access to the Mediterranean Sea. Like they could have gone against Egypt, but Egypt was a much more powerful nation. And so it was much easier for them to attack Israel to, to have access to the Mediterranean Sea. Israel was, it was an easier target, so to speak, than, than Egypt would have been. And, and so for the Midianites, these nomadic people who, who lived and traveled, like I said, in what's now northwestern Saudi Arabia, that according to the, the biblical account, the Midianites did not treat the Israelites very well. I'm, I'm going to read to you from Judges chapter 6, the first six verses in, in Judges 6. It says, The Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, in caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It is impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And you think about this, like, again, for this really young nation of Israel, every time things started to look like things were going well, things started to, to look up, that we were starting to turn a corner, things were, were, were about to happen that were good, the Midianites would come and just devastate them. So, like, they planted their crops, and, oh, they, they were getting ready to harvest their crops, and, and the Midianites came and just destroyed their crops. Maybe their, their, their livestock were starting to have offspring, and they would come and they would slaughter the sheep and the donkeys and, and the cattle. And, and the writer of Judges re refers to the Midianites as, as like a swarm of locusts. 
that were invading Israel. And, and I, w- I wasn't aware of this, but back in 2020, everybody's favorite year uh, from recent memory, there, there was actually a, an incredible uh, uh, infestation in, in Eastern Africa where they were overrun by swarms of locusts. I actually found this, if you can put this picture, like, I mean, this is like what they were facing. It, it was the, the largest infestation of locusts that, that, is, that excuse me, East Africa and, and Southern India had experienced in over a quarter century. And the locusts, they, they would come through and just destroy everything in their path. Just, just devastate the land and those who were living in the land. And, and I'm sure there, there might be some in the room that might be, feel like that a little bit today, that, man, like, it feels like every time things are looking up, every time things are starting to, all right, I feel like we're getting some momentum, think good things are starting to happen, something comes along and just knocks the wind out of your sail. Like, that's the scenario that the Israelites found themselves in. And skipping ahead to, in uh, Judges chapter 6 to verse 11, it says, An angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, in Ophrah that belonged to Joaph the, Ab- the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I, I've read this account uh, of Gideon many, many times over the years. And, and I, I tell you, like, it, it strikes me and puts a smile on my face every time when you think of the absurdity of, of this interaction right here. That Gideon, he's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid. He's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and, and steal his crops. They're going to come take what is his. Now, normally, you would thresh wheat in a threshing floor, like in a, in a wide open space. If you can put a, a picture of that, this is actually like ruins of a, of a threshing floor like this. It's got rocks down. And, and so what they would do is they would take the wheat that they had harvested, put it down, and, and sometimes they would have oxen come walk over the top of it or they would beat it, but, but essentially they're trying to um, get the kernels of wheat to be separated from the stalks that, that it grew in. And then what they would happen is after it was separated, it would often throw it up in the air and the heavier kernels would fall back down and the wind would take the chaff away. That's how they kind of separated the two. And, and oftentimes a, a threshing floor like this would be up on a, on a hillside, it would be in a wide open space so that the wind could easily come in and take that, that chaff away. But Gideon, he's not out in the open. He's hiding what he's doing. He's threshing wheat in, in a wine press. If you can show a picture of, of the wine press here, like the wine press is like he's, he's hiding down. He doesn't want to be seen. He's not out in the open. And, and he's hiding in fear because of what the Midianites might do. And as, as he's hiding, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and what does he say to him? He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, when, when we hear the term mighty warrior, like I'm sure most of us, we, we often think of somebody who's, who's heroic, who's brave, who's running into battle, you know, a, a firefighter running into a burning building, standing up for what's right. Like that's what comes to mind when we think of mighty warrior. Not somebody who's hiding because he's worried somebody's going to steal his stuff. And this irony is not lost on Gideon either because he asks some, some very pointed questions in the next verse. In, in verse 13, he says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, like, like you just said, you said God is with us. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Like where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Like, he, he, he looks around, and he's like, really? Like, God is with us? Because it sure doesn't look like it. Like, have you looked around? Have you seen what's happening? Have you seen what the Midianites have been doing to us? And, and you're saying God is, is with us? Like, are you kidding me? Like, Gideon, Gideon kind of has some, uh, some chutzpah to, to be talking to, to an angel of the Lord this way. And the next verse in verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Like the angel, the angel of the Lord doesn't even address what Gideon is complaining about. He, he's like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road with you, Gideon, because I have something for you to do. And this is probably my, my, enti- my favorite phrase in the entirety of this passage, where God says to Gideon, I want you to go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Go in the strength you have. Like Gideon, he tries to make some excuses, you know, about how, like, how can I save Israel? Like, my clan is, is the weakest clan of all of Israel, and, I, and I'm just, I'm a weakling in my own family. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And, and God says, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. It, it's kind of like God saying, all right, I know you don't have it all. You may not be the bravest. You may not be the strongest. You may not be the most battle-hardened. You may not have the military training that you think you need. You may not have the charisma to lead. You may not be the most clever. You may not think you have what it takes. But you are a mighty warrior. And I'm with you. I want you to go in the strength that you do have. What what you do have is enough. Because I am with you. In verse 16, the Lord answered him and said, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Like, Like he's saying, all right, you may not have everything that you think you need. You may not have all that, all, all, that you, all that you think you need in order to, to accomplish this task that I'm charging you with. But I want you to go in the strength that you do have. You may not have the strength you think you need. You may not have the skills you think you need, the qualifications you think you need, the resources you think you need. But I want you to go in the strength that you do have. What, what, what is it that you do have? Go in that because I'm going to be with you. You may not have it all, you may not, but take the skills you do have. You may not have it all, but take the qualifications that you do have. Take the resources that you do have. He said, I'm going to be with you. Because our our not enough, plus God, will always be more than enough. Gideon's not enough, plus God, will be more than enough to defeat the Midianites. Our not enough, plus God, will always be more than enough. And I don't have time to read the entire account with you this morning, but your homework this week is I want you to go home and I want you to read all of Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7. But what happens is, to the Cliff Notes version, Gideon assembles an army. He's got 32,000 men that, that he's getting ready to attack the Midianites. And, and, and he's, he's on a ridge with his 32,000 men that are overlooking a valley where the Midianites are below. And God speaks to Gideon in this moment. He says, you know what? 32,000 men is actually more than you need. So I want you to go tell everybody, say, all right, if you're afraid, I want you to go home. And 22,000 of them went home, leaving 10,000 left. And God speaks to Gideon again. He says, all right, no, no, this is still too many men. What I want you to do is I want you to lead your, your, your army. 
I want you to go down to the river, and we're going to separate them out. And, and those that, there are going to be some that are going to bend over and like lap at the river and drink like a dog. There are going to be some that kneel down and they scoop the water up to themselves. I want you to separate them out. And I want you to send some of them home. And after all this, Gideon's left with 300 men. He started out with 32,000 men, which already would have been a, a mighty task to defeat the Midianites. And God has winnowed it down to 300. And, and, like, and, and, and it's almost like I, I can imagine Gideon in a way, a bit like, all right, is this some kind of cruel joke in a way? Like, like really? Like, you, you call me, you know, a mighty warrior to go in, in the strength that I have, and, and I'm going to defeat the Midianites, and, and you're taking everything I have away. Everything I thought I could rely on, you, you, you've taken it away. But God says, no, 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 you're not enough, plus God is always going to be more than enough. And that night, Gideon assembled all of his men, his 300 men that he had left in the camp as they were above the valley where the Midianites were, were staying. And Judges 7, verse 16, it says, Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. They blew their trumpets. This is in the middle of the night, mind you. They blew their trumpets. They smashed their jars. The torches are blazing. If you put yourself in the mindset of the Midianites in this moment, like what an awful way to wake up. You're hearing trumpets blaring and, and jars smashing. You're seeing torches all over. I mean, this is a brutal way to wake up. Scripture records that, that the Midianites were so disoriented and so scared that they actually began attacking one another. Like, they, they, they were so confused about what was going on, and the 300 men seemed way more and accomplished way more with God in this moment. They, that Gideon took what he had. He had trumpets, and he had jars, and he had torches. And he accomplished God's purpose in a truly amazing way. Like Gideon's not enough, plus God was more than enough to free Israel from the Midianites. Now you may be thinking, all right, cool story. What does that have to do with Chick-fil-A? <laughs> and that's a good question, like a fair question. You know, like, and like as I was, as I was researching this, Truett Cathy, the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, actually, he would reference this passage when, when he talked about the inspiration that he had for creating the Chick-fil-A sandwich. That if you continue reading in Judges 8, after they defeated the Midianites, Gideon and his men, they had a feast of, of chicken and bread. And Truett Cathy took this as literally, and he created the Chick-fil-A sandwich out of that. that that's actually not true at all. They, they, <laughs> that, like, they, they didn't have a feast of, of chicken and bread, and, and I, 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 don't know. Truett, I don't know what Truett Cathy thought of Gideon. I'm sure he thought he was a great guy, but no, like that, that has nothing to do with anything. But, but this story... <laughs> The, this story came to mind when I was thinking about where we are right now as, as, a, as a church and as a society, as a culture. You know, obviously, you know, if you were here last week and or you receive our, our Stones Throne newsletters, you know, you're aware that there's some changes happening within our church staff. Jim and Meredith, you know, have been offered employment outside of the church, and they're going to be taking that in. And it's going to be a huge blessing to, 
to their family. And, and I just want to say, like, I love Jim and Meredith, and I'm super excited for them. I, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that God opened up this opportunity for them and, and what God has in store for, for their next chapter and in their story as well. But ultimately, that also leaves us with some challenges of where we are as a church as well. The Waltman's not being on staff. It leaves some holes. It leaves some gaps. Like, they're still going to be active members uh, of the church. They're still going to be here. They're going to, you know, participate and be uh, a part of, of what's going on here. But these changes within our staff, it, it does present some challenges for us. Now, the good news is, one of the things we've done, we've hired Katie Kenyon. Uh, she's going to be taking over a lot of Meredith's responsibilities, taking over a lot of the administrative um, tasks here at the church. Katie, are you in the room right now? Here, Katie, stand up. All right, Katie's going to be joining our staff. It, Katie is going to be an amazing addition, um, and if you've not met Katie yet, make sure you go and find her after service. Just welcome her and give her a big hug and tell her, you know, thank you for just accepting, you know, that call of joining our, our church staff. Um, but that's going to be one of the changes. Um, obviously, worship is going to continue as well. Like, we, we have a team right now that is kind of splitting up some of the, the different tasks and, and duties of, of the, the worship director position. Um, and it's going to be a good thing. You know, ultimately, Jim's not, he's not going to be playing on, on every single Sunday as, as he is right now. Um, he's, but he's still going to be a part of the worship team. He's, he's going to take some time just to acclimate himself to, the, to his new schedule. But Jim's still going to be playing on the worship team twice a month after that. And, but, but thank God that, that God has brought together and he's assembled talented musicians and talented vocalists to be able to, to lead us forward. In, in worship together. But, but to tie this story, or excuse me, to tie this to the story of Gideon, this whole idea of our not enough plus God will always be more than enough. Our not enough plus God will always be more than enough. In the same way that God told Gideon, I want you to go in the strength you have. Yeah, you might not have it all. You might not have everything that you need. But I want you to go in the strength that you do have. And God used him. God used him to save Israel from the Midianites. And, and ultimately, God provided, and, he, and he's given us everything that we need to fulfill our mission and our vision right here within our church family right now. God has assembled the right people, the people that need to be here for right now, for this time, for this moment. God took a man who felt like he had nothing to offer, who felt like he was not good enough, not strong enough, not brave enough. A guy who was hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press. And that man went out in the strength that he did have. He took the things he did have, trumpets and torches and jars, and he led a small army against a much larger foe. And he accomplished more with the little that he did have because he trusted God. He trusted that God was with him and allowed God to use him. And so that's my challenge for us as a church family for this coming year. Like, I'm praying that God is going to raise up some Gideons right here in our midst. People who maybe feel inadequate, who feel unprepared, insignificant, who may feel like, I don't have much to offer at all. And to step forward. 
to trust that God is going to use them to, to fill in those gaps, offering what we do have for the glory of God and, and watch what God does with it. And if you recall how God responded to Gideon when, when he was making excuses, when, when he was saying he had nothing to offer, that he, all right, God, I'm, I'm the wrong person for this job. God had a very simple phrase. He said, I'll be with you. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this by yourself. You're not doing this in your own strength. God said, I'm going with you. You will defeat those Midianites. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting you out here just to kind of dangle in the wind by yourself. No, I'm going to be with you. And against great odds, a small army of faithful and committed individuals went out in the strength that they did have. They took the, the, the resources they did have, the supplies they had, and they accomplished something that nobody in their right mind would have thought they could do. But God. God was with them in this moment. And so I want to do, I, I want to I show you a, a, a video. Cure Hammett made this video for us, just kind of like looking back over 2022 and, and just kind of like setting an expectation for hey, where are we going in this next year. If you could play that video for us right now, please.
So I want to close this morning just with the admonition that God gave to Gideon. In Judges 6.12, he said, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Like, even if you don't feel with it, I want you to hear this morning, God is with you, mighty warrior. Even if you're, you're looking at your life and you look around like Gideon did, you're saying, man, why is all this happening to me? Like, it looks like maybe God has forgotten about me. And, and like, look at all the things, that, all the mess going on in my life right now. I thought it was going to look different than this. God would tell you the same thing that he told Gideon. I want you to go in the strength you have and that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And, I, and I'm convinced this year we're going to look back at the end of 2023 and just be amazed at what God has done in and through this body of believers that he's assembled, this church family that he has assembled right here. We're going to talk more about this in, in the coming weeks, about how, about where, you know, you can jump in and offer what you do have, how we can be that Gideon and, and, and stand up and say, hey, God, I'm in. Use me. I'm going to go in the strength that I do have. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring, God, what I do have and offer it to you and watch what God does in and through you. So allow me to pray for you this morning as our worship team comes up. Lord, we, we just love you and thank you, God, so much for who you are. God, that you are, are a God who is, is present, who is with us, Lord, that you have not left us nor have you abandoned us, Lord, but God, that you are present, Lord, that you have called and you have assembled and you have put together this church family for such a time as this, that every single one of us, Lord, we have a, a role to play. We have, we have a, a, a part in the story that you are writing, Lord. And, and God, we, we come to you in the strength that we do have. And, and maybe some people feel really strong right now. Maybe, maybe some people don't feel strong at all. But we, God, we come to you in the strength we have. And we offer it to you. And God, ask that you would be with us, that you would accomplish things through us, Lord, that, that we might not even be able to recognize. And in the same way that, that you took a, a, a man like Gideon, a man who, who, was, who was scared, who was hiding, a man who didn't feel like he had any qualifications whatsoever, and you used him to, to lead an army that, that defeated their enemies. God, we're not looking to defeat enemies. God, we're looking to, to reflect you, to be your heart to, to the people right here in, in your neighborhood. So God, I, I pray for our church family. You're going to raise up some Gideons right here in this room. You're going to raise up some people in this room that, that say, all right, I, I may not feel like I have it all together. I may not have all the qualifications. I may not think I, I have the smarts and, and the, the leadership ability. I may not have all the things I, I, I feel like I ought to have. But God, remembering that, that my not enough plus you is more, always going to be more than enough. And Lord, I pray that for our church family this year. That God, when we offer you our not enough, God, you being with us, you in the midst, it will always be more than enough. And so, God, we trust you. Lord, we, we trust you, and, and we, we pray, Lord. We're, we're believing, God, that you are going to do the incredible. You're going to do the miraculous. You're going to accomplish things in and through this church body and this church family that doesn't make any sense. It might not make any sense in... in in our, in, our, in our human logical eyes, but Lord, through you, 
we're going to do and we're going to accomplish more than anything we could ever think or imagine. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the journey that you have us on, that we are journeying together. We're not alone, but we are together and we're with you. You have great things in store. God, we trust you and we thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to I wanted to share communion thoughts this morning with you. And in Gideon 6, where God is calling, excuse me, Judges 6, where, where God is calling Gideon to, to rise up and to save his people from the Midianites, there's an interesting exchange that happens that, that we didn't read earlier. That if you do your homework and read Judges 6 and 7, you'll you'll come across it. But in Judges 6, 23 and 24, the Lord said to him, Peace. He's speaking peace over Gideon. He's saying, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And so Gideon, he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. And I find that so interesting, that, that Gideon says that God is Jehovah Shalom, the God is peace. And mind you, this took place before the battle with the Midianites. This took place before Gideon even saw God do the miraculous. He said, all right, the God is my peace right now. Like just before this, in the interaction, Gideon is looking around and he's saying, God, where are you in all this? Why are all these bad things happening to me and to my people? Like what's going on? And now he builds an altar and he declares, God is peace. He's our shalom. And so I I don't know what you might be facing this new year. I don't don't know what battles you might have in front of you. I don't know where you might look around and maybe you're wondering in your own life, God, where are you in the middle of this? I, I want to remind you that God is your peace and that he is your shalom. That in spite of what may be going on in the world, that he came to give you peace. And I think about this in... In reference, we, we referenced the, the Last Supper a little bit earlier. And in, in the middle of what was about to be a very chaotic and tumultuous few days with Jesus' arrest and his trial, his crucifixion, and ultimately his, his resurrection, before all that took place, Jesus knelt down in front of his disciples. And he took their feet and he washed their feet in that moment. And just what a, what a beautiful and intimate and ultimately peaceful moment that must have been. And so in the middle of what you're facing, what you might be dealing with right now, I want you to know that Jesus is inviting you to come to this table with him. To come and and partake in the peace that only he can offer. That he extends an invitation to sit and to rest and to receive his grace, his goodness, and his peace. So I'm going to pray right now. Our ushers are going to come forward and prepare our the communion tables here, and I want to invite you to come forward. Everybody is welcome at our communion tables. As we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to come forward and, and just enjoy the peace that only Jesus can bring. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you, God. God, for that peace that you are Jehovah Shalom. You are the God who gives and brings peace. And so, Lord, for For our church family, Lord, whatever our church family might be dealing with, whatever our church family might be facing right now, this coming year, Lord, I pray that your peace would be theirs. That as they come to this table, as they they come to, to receive 
this representation of your body and your blood. God, that your peace would just overwhelm us and wash over us. In Jesus' name, amen.